it was uh, two years ago today, or this Sunday, two years ago, was the last time we met like in a normal way before the whole COVID thing happened. And it happened to be that my parents, my mom and dad, was talking with them, visited them yesterday, and, and they were talking about this, that they had started talking about retirement. My dad's a pastor, he's 87, and we're talking about retirement. And, and I thought in my mind, I, I hope he just doesn't retire, he just keeps going as long as he can. He pastors a neat little church out in the country. They have a little parsonage next door. The situation seems good for them. He seemed like he was doing well, but he knew that it was time for him to retire. And so he kept talking about that. And I kept hoping in my mind that he would kick the can down the road. And then, but he didn't. And he decided that, that his last week was uh, two years ago this Sunday. And they moved out of the parsonage. I went down there on my day off and helped them move. And they moved out of the parsonage over to Kalamazoo into some housing that was there. And, the, and that week, everything closed down, and it would have been impossible for them to move, impossible for them to do what they were doing. And they were talking about that yesterday, as I was talking to them, as one of a thousand stories that they could tell about how faithful that God is when you trust him with your life. Years ago, when I was a boy, a real popular Christian musician from Grand Rapids. His name was John W. Peterson. His songs, a lot of them were in the hymn book at the time. And he wrote a song that kind of goes like this. Jesus led me all the way, led me step by step each day. I will tell the saints and angels when I lay my burden down. Jesus led me all the way. I always love that. Jesus led me all the way. Led me step by step each day. I will tell the saints and angels when I lay my burden down. Jesus led me all the way. But how does he do that? How do you know when he's telling you something? How do you know what to do and what not to do? How do you know what's true? My goodness, it's easy to be cynical and skeptical in our time because so many people are lying to us for money. <laughs> how do you know who to believe and how do you know how to filter all the information that you get? Everyone's running an angle. Everyone has a thing they're doing. They're selling us something or, or they've got a philosophy or they've got an idea. How do you, how do you know what's true? And today, we're in this beautiful, this gorgeous bit of scripture in 2 Peter in chapter 1 in verses 16 through 21 that answer that question so powerfully. We have a divine filter through which we can pass all important things to decide what is true, who we can trust, what we can believe. In 1 Peter, Peter writes a letter to the uh, elect exiles, if you will, the the Christians that are scattered uh, throughout the area, he writes a letter to prepare them for suffering because following Jesus is always going to involve some hardship. And so how can we finish faithful is the, first, is the subject of the first letter. How can we finish faithful when we are going to have to go in a hard, follow a hard way? A suffer, we're going to have to suffer. And that was the general subject of the first letter that Peter wrote. Now, as he prepares to die, he writes another letter. He's got something on his heart. We know, and we're going to see this today, that he, 
It wasn't an individual letter that he cooked up himself. It was something God literally and, and miraculously inspired in him to write. But in this case, it's, the, the thing he takes aim at is on our pilgrimage, on our journey to faithfulness, we're not only going to have to face hardship, we're going to have to face misdirection. We're going to have to face false teaching, people that tell us things that aren't true that are dangerous, that could misdirect us, that could send us down a lethal path. And he's going to talk about that. And in particular, the, the, the false teachers that were affecting the people he was writing to were trying to put a seed of doubt in their mind about a key doctrine of the church, a truth, which was the second coming of Jesus. And so that was the issue of that day in that place. There's, there are different issues today. There are major issues in the church today that faithful people have to decide on they have to be valiant in that thing. And they can be valiant in a hundred other things that aren't the issue of the day. But if they're not valiant and faithful in the thing that's the issue of the day, they're not really valiant now, are they? Luther said that in this famous quote, if I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God except precisely that little point which the world and the devil at that moment are attacking, I am not confessing Christ. However boldly I may be professing Christ, where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved, and to be steady on all the battlefield besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. There are key doctrines that are being attacked, truths of Scripture that have been accepted through the centuries that are being attacked by people who even call themselves evangelical Christians today. It's, in other words, what am I getting at? The book that we're about to study, the book that we're studying, is so relevant, even though it's 2,000 years later, from the very beginning of the church, there was a problem with people saying, this isn't true, that isn't true, about a, a biblical doctrine. Paul had to deal with it, Peter had to deal with it, John had to deal with it, and today we have to deal with it. We can't have a Christianity that doesn't deal with things that are said by false teachers and false professors. This is attributed to Orwell. He said, or he was said to have said, in a time of universal deceit, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. In a time of universal deceit, just telling the truth is a revolutionary act. Maybe you could, maybe you could put it this way. We all are watching on the television and on the internet a resistance unfold in the Ukraine, a resistance to an invasion it's very much that way spiritually for us. There's an invasion of error, and, there and with faithful people, there must be a resistance. Now you're saying, Pastor, you, why, are you, why are you saying this? this? It seems, you know, strident. It's like, well, we're preaching, the, we're teaching the Bible, and this is the next chunk we're in, and that's what the passage does. A lot of the Bible does this. A lot of the Bible refutes error. And so for us to cherry pick passages that are motivational or happy for us just to cherry pick passages that are therapeutic for us to just cherry pick passages that you can preach with uh, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and Muslims all together and no one would object would not be faithful to the word of God and so we want to be faithful to the word of God I'm talking to you here in this beautiful text there's two major things you see actually um two sections if you want to understand this as i see it super clear 
is that in verses 16, 17, and 18, we have a, we have a, a section here, and the subject of that section is Peter talking about his eyewitness testimony of the transfiguration, which, is, which foreshadows the second coming. That's what he's doing. But then in the second section, the last three verses, in verses 19, 20, and 21, it's like he ratchets it to another powerful level, and he talks about what we would call the inspiration of Scripture, the origin of Scripture being God. Not just inspiring, but inspired as in breathed by God, or men speaking as they're carried along by the Holy Spirit, is the exact language used in this text. And so, but if you'll allow uh, for my homiletical arrangement for your advocation to help you, we're going to circle back into the text, and I want to show you three things, three reasons that you can trust the Scriptures as your filter. Three reasons that you can build your marriage on the Scripture, even when marriage is hard. Three reasons why you can create your sexual ethic around the Scriptures, even when you may have strong inclinations otherwise. Three reasons why you can organize your finances around the Scriptures, even though you're tempted to do otherwise. Three reasons why you can treat your enemies like Jesus said to treat your enemies, even though everything in you wants to treat them differently. Three reasons you can trust the Bible 